0: Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about rich misandrist vigilantes so that you don't have to. Uh, this episode, we've read Under the Radar, which is part of the Sisterhood series by Fern Michaels. And joining us to discuss this wonderful work of feminist fiction is practicing misandrist Naomi.
1: Hi, Naomi. Hello. Hello. Hi.
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks for joining for us.
0: joining us. This was a book reread, guys.
2: (laughs) By the way, um, Kay forgot to introduce me, but I'm here also. Oh, right. As Renata. (laughs) Also, I'm practicing (laughs) at (laughs) Miss Andrist.
0: I'm going to come straight off the bat and say that this book is terrible garbage trash. I would never in a million years recommend that someone read it. And yet, I read the whole thing in like three hours and I could not put it down it was just my kind of awful garbage.
2: <laughs> I would also like to say at the bat, um, I didn't realize, I, I guess that this is like the 13th one in the series and it, it was a little confusing to jump into. And so I went online to like Fern Michael's website to read um, because they are recurring characters. And I kind of wish that she would do that babysitters club thing where the first chapter was just like reintroducing the characters but she didn't really. But if you're curious, there is that sort of information on the website. There's like a little biography of each of these sisters.
0: And we could we'll probably link that on the footnotes for this episode. Um, because you really have to look at it. It's like, um if anyone reading this is not familiar with like fan culture, we do this thing sometimes where people will, like, fan cast characters in fan fiction and in, like, books and things that haven't been made into movies or TV shows, and it literally looks like that's what she did. There's, like, a headshot for each character, and then, like, a ridiculous little short biography about them, and it's amazing. You have to look at it.
2: <laughs> also, it looks like she fancasts pretty much every character. Like, I think she just went to Google Images and typed in Meryl Streep lookalike. And then cast that for, like, half of these women. And for each character,
1: it's, like, their name, their tragic backstory, because everyone has one, and then the guy that they're in love with. And some of the guys also make it onto the page. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone is rich, everyone is super talented, which I'm not surprised by. This is very much, you know, a wish-fulfillment type of literature, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's also a little, you know, how do you have so many people who are so exceptional?
2: I have this on in a tab, and I'm actually... I can't not do this. Like, you should actually look at Ollie's, but I'm going to just read Catherine's, because I think it's my favorite, and I think you all need to hear it right now. (laughs) Catherine Lucas is the tallest of the girls and has dark brown hair. One of Nikki's former clients, she is the first woman vindicated by the sisterhood as they exact their revenge upon the three white-collar bikers who brutally raped her while her disabled husband was forced to watch. (laughs) She has a nuclear engineering degree from MIT, but likes the freedom driving the big rig as a long-distance truck driver. But also, the picture of her is like a sexy lady on a motorcycle, so apparently she does that too. <laughs> they're all like that, though. It, yeah. it is amazing.
0: Uh, you absolutely need to go to the website and look at these, because they're all fantastic.
1: <laughs> I think... Four out of the eight women are holding guns.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so, like, the whole, like, it's clearly a series. And so I'll cut um, Fern Michaels some slack with that. Uh, Like Renata, it would be... I think it would be very helpful if they had a catch-up chapter like babysitter's club i think that for all series i would like to see all recurring series have a chapter where everybody is sitting around like at a meeting of their whatever it is that brings them all
2: together in this case the vigilante sisterhood yes (laughs) which they do have meetings for like all the time so this would not be out of place and quickly describes like
0: in a couple sentences how the group came about, and what everyone's, you know, stereotypical role is in the group. Uh, that would be super helpful. Um, but knowing that that did not happen, I'll kind of cut Fern Michael some slack for the fact that we get zero physical descriptions of these characters, very little background on any of them, very little characterization. Um, like I said, I didn't go to the website till after I had finished, and all of the characters, the voices of them were all so similar, and they were so nondescript that I kind of couldn't keep track of them, or tell them apart. And it didn't help that she would frequently shift POV halfway through paragraphs. Yeah. Which also made it really hard to keep track, which clearly didn't keep me from reading the whole thing very quickly. But...
2: (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't track, but I would say I didn't really care. (laughs)
0: Like, there were a couple... I could keep track of a couple people based on um, certain characteristics. Like, like, Yoko is Japanese and, like, quiet and meek, of course. Because, of course, she is. Because she's Asian.
2: But also, Uh, she's terrifyingly good at martial arts. So, everyone is, like, scared of her. Including (laughs) her husband.
1: She also speaks in, like, slightly stilted English. Like, I don't think she uses contractions. So you know that she's foreign. Right.
2: But yeah, most of the, like, white ladies were just kind of like, I don't care. They all sound
1: identical, and they all don't really sound like real people. Like, there's one point where one of them, Myra, is saying to another character, as Catherine would say, you back the wrong horse. And first of all, Catherine doesn't really come across as one who uses cliches more than any of the others. And also... (laughs) Why is that one person's particular saying? Right. There's a lot of very strange dialogue through the whole book. Right. And none of it rings true.
2: It all feels slightly like it were written by, um, this is a quote. It all sounds like, uh, okay, the quote is, this reminds me of that movie where aliens made imitation people in pods. Like, that's. it's just, like, slightly off, like, as if they were an alien and they'd sort of heard about Earth culture and they're like, pod people, but they ran out their translating, like, imitation people in pods. Got it. And the whole thing is just full of weird phrases or words that are just, like, slightly off. Um, like, oh, uh, multiple times they called Ted a wizard of text messaging.
0: Like, yeah, which I guess is, like, the excuse for how Maggie is able to stay so on top of everything that's happening in Utah when she's in... I don't know, somewhere on the East Coast,
2: at the post. Yes, the, the only post there is
0: the only the only one that everybody knows by name. Um.
2: The use of technology is
1: actually really strange throughout this book. Uh, there's, you know, it's meant to be set in the present day, and they do talk a lot about texting. They also talk about, like, they also talk about GPS locators, which is fine. But then they talk about things like faxes and. Um, at one point Maggie the journalist holds up a cardboard mock-up of a front page. And I don't know that newspapers do
2: that anymore now that everybody uses InDesign right or this, and, whatever other programs they're using for layouts. And this book was is from 2009. So it's a little bit old but not like, so old that like they were definitely still making cardboard mock-ups of the front page
0: i will however defend the fax machine given that i had to receive two faxes last week um from people who i was (laughs) like just scan it and email it to me and they were like uh i don't know how to do that do you have a fax number so especially like like, because so many of them are older ladies like i'll buy that they still have fax
2: machines (laughs) but yeah and then there's also stuff where it's just like tons of this kind of hand wavy stuff like Oh, we'll do it with our special cell phone or, like, our special computer. And, like, it's kind of in the vein of just, like, how Batman always has, like, the special batarang or, like, special bat shark repellent. Like, these ladies just have, like, a special technology for whatever. Wait, I we guess... haven't even gotten yeah, into we the haven't... <laughs> We haven't really described the summary of the book yet.
0: So let's let's start with that. And we'll move and touch
2: on all of the rich ridiculousness that's to follow. I'm so afraid this episode is going to be like three hours long and we're still, and we'll be like, oh, we've been talking about this for three hours and we still have not summarized the plot.
0: because This just... book is not so bananas, guys. It is.
1: It's <laughs> so, so, an so... entire banana plantation. <laughs> So this
0: group of women, from what I can tell from reading the back, is um, of the backstory on the website, formed when uh, Myra's daughter was killed by a drunk driver who had diplomatic immunity. So she formed this group along with her husband, who is a former MI6 agent
2: Um, of I women- would. I want to interject that... Uh, the diplomat who killed her was an Asian diplomat, and that's specified. And I feel like that really just like lays the groundwork for all the casual racism that's to come. It's true.
0: Um, but so they they form this group of women vigilantes who go in and bring justice to women who are wronged when um, they can't find it through legal means, and it's just made up of all of these like, if not rich super hot and the best in their field who have been wronged. And it seems like a lot of them um, are the former victims that the sisterhood had saved. And then as a result, they join the sisterhood once the sisterhood steps in and saves them. Um, And they're called the sisterhood and they work out of this mountain retreat that's top secret. And they're like sort of leader. It's like kind of Charlie's Angels-esque. Like, it seems like there's this one former MI6 agent who's, whose name like, is kinda, Charles, whose name is Charles, <laughs> who like kind of like organizes everything and gets them cases and gets does them all special the, like, cell phones. Yeah. Um, so the book opens when he there's a crisis in England and he immediately has to leave.
2: Because and he doesn't... gets a personal phone call from the Queen of England, who he <laughs> refers to as Liz, because they are besties for some reason.
1: This is literally what actually happened. <laughs> so he
0: and Myra, like, run off on a, a magic helicopter ride to England, and a helicopter, I wasn't mistaken there, they they get on a helicopter and go to England, that's a the thing they do, um, I think. <laughs>
1: Who, who cares? <laughs> and so the, the
0: girls are all in a panic because there's no one to run their organization because apparently there was no backup plan ever, and Charles might not ever come back for reasons that aren't really specified. Once we find out why he's gone,
2: right? Um, um, and then so their plan—they're like, "Well, we'll just lay low and like not do any vengeance missions until they get back." But then, like three hours later they get a call and like, well, we have to do this right away. And who the call is from, I guess, is a woman that they had helped previously. Um, whose she's name? A
0: former Supreme court justice. Yeah.
2: She's a retired Supreme court justice who now, um, ha- works on an underground railroad type situation for abused women out West. And she calls them because she'd been rescuing a bunch of pregnant teenagers and and the bus broke down, and she needs someone to come get them before their um, abusive husbands come back for them. Because they, Well, were-
1: it's actually even worse than that. She was driving her empty bus and found their broken-down <laughs> bus with the bus driver having been killed. Oh, yeah! I so she loads them that. all in her bus and decides, rather than take them to where they're going, because they're all pregnant teenagers, most of them, like, 13 to 15, it's implied... She's going to take them to safety
2: and kidnap
1: this bus full of pregnant teenagers. Right.
2: Via her via her underground uh, railroad network.
0: So she calls the sisterhood and they just like constantly are in a panic for the whole book because they don't know what to do without Charles there to guide him, them. Like they're constantly like, we don't have a plan. We don't know what we're doing. We're just, like, making this up because we don't know what to do. And they, like, kind of pull a plan together by calling out all the other women, like, their second string team that are out in the field um, to get together so that they can not only save these teenagers because they're taken back by the organization, the cult that they were members of.
2: Which is called Heaven on Earth, and constantly referred to as Ho. (laughs) (laughs) They're taken back to Ho. So they decide they're gonna break Ho wide open, and
0: get rid of the prophet, and who is in charge of the church, and...
2: The prophet's name is Harold (laughs) Evanrod. The names in this book are amazing, and We have a list of them that maybe we'll read later, but I really needed to get that out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the thing is, like, they seem, part of them seems to be genuinely concerned about poor pregnant teenagers, but most of them seems really angry that, like, the cult gets its money by making all of the sister wives who are in it apply for welfare for their children and, like, the welfare checks fund the cult. And they're really mad about misuse of government funds and like kind of mad about brainwashed women or kind of mad about abused children and like sort of passingly irritated by brainwashed women. Like those are their priorities, like government funds being misused, poor abused children who don't know any better, women who have been brainwashed, but really if they had had stronger characters, that wouldn't have happened.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of victim blaming from yeah. the, the oh, Vigilante sisters. <laughs> so much. So much. It's like, well, if
1: you weren't lucky enough to have Vigilantes come save you when you started being a victim, you deserved everything you got. <laughs>
0: um, so I guess, I mean, I guess the rest of the book is pretty much they, they meet up with all of like their men. And much like, um, I don't even know, what, like every single man in the book is clearly inserted to be a romantic attachment to one of the women like i can tell just from the structure of this book that probably each of these men who are a guest star in a book instantly fell in love with one of the women and now are recurring characters and it happens with the one unattached man in this book too he like comes in and immediately locks eyes with one of the girls and they're in love forever
1: and they're actually flirting while they're in the middle of their big vigilante takedown, which is so incredibly creepy. <laughs> what about that situation that is sexy or romantic? I don't know.
0: But they, the men and the women work together and they bring down the cult and they save everyone and lots of ridiculous things that we'll talk about happen. And there's no resolution on anything, including the subplot about Mira and Charles in England with Charles's surprise son that he didn't know about dying. And yeah, so that's the summary of the book. And now we're going to talk about how ridiculous it was.
2: Right, because this book, I mean, there's. Uh, You know, it's a few hundred pages. It's, like, a decent-length book, but they spend so much time in just, like, nonsense details, and then they just skip over, really, the part where they actually rescue the girls from the compound, and, like, what happens next, and we just, uh, you know, it's just kind of, like, build up, build up, build up, then cut to them in the mountain, like, dusting their hands of like, job well done, ladies. But, like, that that theoretically would have been the most interesting
1: part. That happens a lot. There are a lot of interesting conversations where you would think character details would come out that just get skipped over. Or, you know, they get to accomplish something with calling people and pulling strings and making deals. And we don't see any of that. We hear people talk about it later. Oh, well, I called this judge and they agreed to set up a special fund for these people. Or, oh, I called the FBI and they're coming down to descend on the compound in 30 minutes but you miss a lot of what goes on and it's very hard to keep track of what is going on. Well, it's considering she, how I, short the book is.
0: I feel like she does that, not just with like the big action details, but with everything. Like I, there's one point remember it happens a lot, but one specific example is that they're at the cult compound and they're in a room and they're like all right well we need to do x y and z and then move to the second location and then it just cuts to that location but it doesn't even say like you know yoko and katherine ran out and did x y and z and you know ran up to the house where, the, where they were keeping everyone it just cuts to the house and it's like you know yoko's talking and she's in the house and there's no mention of like how, like, literally it ends with Catherine saying, we need to do these things and then go to the house and picks up with Yoko saying something in the house. And she does that a lot. Like, she cuts out all the intermediary action of, like, getting characters places and putting people in rooms and just open scenes with everyone or skips mid-scene to another room with everyone already in it, which is just added to the confusion along with the POV changes and everyone sounding the same.
1: It's very disorienting. I actually had to go back and check at the end because I couldn't figure out what had happened to all of the pregnant teenagers.
2: No, yeah, I had to reread the ending too.
1: They're just suddenly gone. And, you know, good. I'm glad they're not in the creepy cult compound anymore, but I feel like that should have... The way plots are usually structured, you'd think that would be a big triumphant moment, and yet it's nowhere.
2: Yeah. Let's, I guess, as best we can go through this plot um <laughs> starting with the fact that pearl our retired supreme court justice who uncovers the plot spends a lot of it apparently in brownface because <laughs> she calls them and they're like oh you're in danger blah blah, blah. and she's like don't worry about it. i have a fake id that says rosa sanchez and now i look like rosa sanchez and, like, we're given to under like, you know, it doesn't explicitly say, and she was in brownface, but I, given everything else in this book, I have to assume that's what they meant, right? And there's a lot of
1: weird racist stuff in general. Yeah. Do we want to
2: talk about that now? No, let's, let's try to get through the plot and then okay. go back and talk about the weird race. <laughs> so, so, Ro- so Pearl, aka Rosa Sanchez, um, has an underground cellar, or no she has friends and the underground railroad who have this like literal underground bunker type thing for hiding abused women
0: because their daughter was an abused woman who was killed like just as the police they wanted to like leave it to the police and not get anyone else involved and just as the police got a warrant she was murdered or something so um Oh, because it was a domestic violence thing. She she and her daughter were murdered by her husband. So they have joined the Underground Railroad in her memory.
2: Right. And so they're hiding there while the hoe is trying to track down these uh, girls to bring them back to the cult compound. Meanwhile, the sisterhood are flying west all in crop dusters for some, and it takes them like two days. I don't really understand why this was the best option for them uh secrecy I guess I don't know so they get there and then meanwhile um their friend Maggie Spitzer is a I think you know affiliate of the sisterhood and she's the editor-in-chief of a newspaper and they want her to write a story about the hoe to expose them and they get one of the women who's escaped whose name is Marion and she goes and kind of tells all, and she's like, but wait, will you, like, also rescue my sister, Sarah? I need to see her again.
0: And my children, who I was forced to have in the cult and forced to abandon when I left it.
2: Yeah, and so you would think there would be a really great emotional moment, maybe, of Marion reuniting with Sarah and her children. Nope. <laughs> Never happens. But there's a lot, of you know, about Marion, uh, you know, explaining life in the cult, like, whatever. Um, and then there is also, I don't even think we really need to talk about uh, Charles and Myra because I don't care, but there, <laughs> occasionally it does check in on them in England, just sort of, like, finding out more about Charles's son. I kind of wonder if this maybe happens more in another book or something. It seemed really just...
0: I was wondering that, too, because it, I, I wanted to know what was happening just because I was curious, like, why it was very, like, it reaches a point where... Charles just pretty much checks out and is like no like you can't make friends with my dying son's wife like you can't ask questions like and he becomes like super mysterious for reasons that are never explained and then like he needs to stay in England with his for reasons that are like none of it's ever explained so I imagine there's another book like after this one that explains Charles's deal but yeah. (laughs) I did want to know more about that, so I'm a little... And let's
1: just note that Charles had no idea he even had a son until the phone call at the start of the entire thing. Yeah, because... Some woman he slept with in England when he was a young man, and and she never told him.
0: And the best part is that she told the Queen of England, because they were pals, and said, When I die could you like check in on my son so presumably this is why the Queen of England knew that Charles had a son and he didn't she was like yeah of course of course I'll check in on your son when he gets injured I'm gonna bring him to my private royal family hospital like it's really weird
2: (laughs) by the way uh Charles's baby mama is named Lady Beatrice known as LB to her friends I just wanted that to be out there
1: 'cause that's the thing that real people do.
2: Yep.
0: But so Charles and Myra, not talking about them anymore for plot reasons. They're off in England. Yeah. And, yeah, and the gosh, only what real
1: else? purpose <laughs> the only real purpose of that plot is to get Charles out of the way. So that theoretically the rest of the sisterhood can, you know, step up. But it barely
2: happens.
0: Barely. Well, Like, the thing that I thought was funny was that I thought they were doing a really adequate job of stepping in with no notice and doing this. And if it wasn't for the fact that they kept constantly repeating, we have no idea what we're doing, we're terrible at this, I absolutely wouldn't have believed it. Like, they immediately start researching, they start, like, doing all the things and creating a plan. Like, if they didn't keep saying, we have no plan and we're terrible and we need Charles, I would think that they were doing fine because they did seem to sort of have a plan and sort of know what they were doing and kind of have a handle on things but they're like constant shrieking and shrilling about how they were lost without charles was there to constantly remind us that i guess they were lost without charles
1: and it was very frustrating to read because if you go by the description on amazon it's about a vigilante group called the Sisterhood, it's about women who are, you know, taking back their strength and refusing to let men push them around and saving women from evil men, but they come across as so completely helpless without this man telling them what to do and orchestrating everything that it's just, they feel very impotent and it's disappointing. It took me a lot longer to get through the book than I think Kate said it took her because I just kept going. Why aren't they as hardcore as I want them to be?
2: It's weird. It's a
1: very strange book.
2: It's like, yeah, like, um, Fern Michaels is a really popular author, um, but I never read any of her books before this. And I guess just from the name and, like, the covers and what, I, I just sort of assumed they were, like, standard romance novels. And this is not that... But you can also see where it's, you know, ev- every woman in here, if she doesn't have a man, like, it seems like she'll get one eventually. So, I mean, I think it is just sort of wish fulfillment for, like, middle-aged women who, like, maybe um want to have a man, but also have these, like, revenge fantasies. But also, I... I- like char- like maybe they just even in their fantasy they can't imagine not having a man in charge of their revenge society I don't know it's weird
0: <laughs> yeah it's a strange book it's like really and a lot of the the actual plot like the actual you know like kind of like we were saying before that like the action is off to the side you know it seems like the plot should be oh, we're going to rescue these women from this cult and have lots of details about that and the background of that. And instead, the bulk of the book is everyone talking to each other and not doing very much. Like once they actually start doing things, uh, like we were talking about before, a lot of that is kind of glossed over so that they can have conversations with each other about things. It's, It's very strange. It's very strangely written, it's very strange overall it, it, it's it's it bunkers nuts so bananas and, <laughs> and
2: I, I also I wonder if she even has an editor or what's happening because there's oh, weird Lord. stuff like this but also she'll repeat herself like from one paragraph to the next. You know, like, and it'll be one paragraph, like, Maggie Spitzer, Editor-in-Chief of the Post, Sat-Editor-Computer. And then the very next paragraph will be, like, typing away, Maggie reflected on how great it was to be Editor-in-Chief of the Post. And, or just, like, things like that where, like, the same exact phrase will be repeated right after she just used it. And I don't know if it's just, like, you know, reinforcing it in case you missed it, or, like, she just forgot she just used it and nobody bothered to tell her.
0: And there was a lot of, um, which is, and again, this could be because it's a series and it seems like these are all kind of like the second string characters who they're bringing to the foreground um, by having Charles and Mira somewhere else. But it seems like she's struggling with how many characters she has to use and what parts of the plot they all play. Because there are characters who will disappear for large chunks of the book and then reappear. There's, like, this woman, Lizzie, who's, like, the best lawyer in the world and, like, has more connections and, like, backroom dealings than the White House and used to work for the White House, um, is brought in to handle the legal side of things for the sister wives from the cult who have... Um, come have broken free of the cult and are now speaking out in the post. And she has, like, a couple really meaty scenes where she's wrangling these girls and thinking about what she's going to do, and then she's gone. Like, they don't mention her again, except like, oh, tell Lizzie that she needs to do whatever, or call Lizzie and tell her this. But she's never mentioned again, like, she's never used again. We don't find out what happened to her after this. Um, There's other characters, too, like, even within the core sisterhood, who I'll forget were there until they speak, like, 30 pages after they last spoke.
1: Yeah. And the guys all have the same problem. I kept getting Joe and Ted confused, like, even more so than all the rest, because they both had connections back to Maggie at the post. And so they were just like, reporter one and reporter two. Oh, see,
0: I kept getting uh, Jack and Ted confused. Maybe because that's I who I'm thinking of. I <laughs> that Joe was the reporter who, like, was new and had just joined the group. But, like, Jack and Ted, I think when we first see them, are together at Harry's dojo. <laughs> and right. are, like, screwing around together and, like, are BFF and constantly talking and constantly together So I definitely kept being like, okay, so which one is Jack and which one is Ted? And I finally like figured out, okay, so Ted's a reporter and he's Maggie's boyfriend and Jack is something else. I'm not quite sure what.
2: (laughs) You know which character I never got confused with any other character? Cosmo Cricket. (laughs)
1: Name in the whole thing
2: <laughs> <laughs> cosmo cricket is lizzie's boyfriend i think he's a fbi agent or something no
1: cosmo is like the one lawyer? who's the head of the nevada gaming commission oh, or a lawyer for oh. my bad so he's
2: in las vegas and he, he's super rich and apparently super huge yeah that's referred to many times But it's never clear, like, I was never clear if he's, like, fat or just, like, a big guy. Like, he's always just referred to as huge.
1: His bed is extra big.
2: Yeah.
0: Given given the type of book that we're reading, I just imagine that he had, like, a huge (laughs) barrel-chested, like, shoulder width of... You know, intense... Your your fan
2: cast for Cosmo Cricket is Dwayne the Rock Johnson?
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) But let's
1: let's be clear, my My fan cast cast for everything is Dwayne the Rock
2: Johnson. I mean, that's a good opinion. My fan cast
1: for Cosmo Cricket is Gaston. (laughs) No one's next as incredibly thick as Cosmo Cricket.
2: (laughs) By the way, I think... Am I wrong? I feel like there is a Sisterhood movie...
1: Is there? Oh
0: my god, I have to watch I think it, it came
2: <laughs> up when I was... <laughs> I, while I was w- reading this,
0: I kept thinking, like, why hasn't Lifetime optioned this as a I think yet? that they have, but hold, please, life fact check. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because that's it's perfect. That's what it is, guys. This is a... Imagine a series of books written by someone who knows everything they need to know about women from watching Lifetime shows and movies. And that's what this book is. <laughs> it is it is a a chunk of text that was designed for people who are addicted to lifetime and as someone who used to watch a lot of lifetime movies i completely understand why i read this in one sitting
1: and i could totally get on board with that i think it's just very challenging in a text only format <laughs> to try and keep track of all of that if you have different actresses with you know different hair colors because they all would I think it would be much easier to keep track.
0: Oh man, <laughs> Cosmo Cricket. Yeah, I, I guess it's a good time to list like all the bizarre names in this book. A, a partial list of all of the bizarre. A partial
1: names list. In this book. Um,
2: also, else- wait. Before you do that, let me. I think I'm wrong. I think what happened was when I was looking this up, I was also reading about the Cedar Cove book series which I get confused with this one, or I used to until I read this. Now I never will. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there is a TV show um, on the Hallmark Channel on the Cedar Cove series. Ah. Um, so, but Hallmark Channel Lifetime, if you're listening, please make a movie of this book ASAP. Yes, absolutely. I think that would be actually
1: entertaining to watch.
2: Yeah, I Just think, well... Assuming they got a good action director, like, if, if it were a film in the style of the book, I'd be like, okay, let's get our guns and our disguises and let's go. Cut to next day, sitting on a couch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you'd save so much money on explosives.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, so here are some of the bizarre names in this book. So we already mentioned Cosmo Cricket who is the possibly lawyer, possibly head of the Nevada Gaming Commission, giant barrel-chested hunk of man that Lizzie is in love with. Um, Lady Beatrice, or LB, the woman that Charles had an affair with, or didn't even have an affair with. He was just it, her girlfriend like way back in the day, and he knocked her up, and she never told him. Um prophet harold evanrod who (laughs) as revenge for him being a dick they take the naked portrait of himself that he had hanging in his room attach it to the flagpole uh, as a flag flying at half mast so it's just like a giant naked picture of him with this junk hanging out that they make sure is like on the front page of every newspaper the next day the heaven on earth cult aka ho Constantly throughout the text, oh, in all caps. <laughs> Pritzi Alouette, who is Nellie, who's one of the minor side characters cleaning lady. Pamela Adamson, <laughs> who is the woman who was sleeping with Charles's son behind Charles's daughter in law's back and is like rich and. Like looks in, like a model fancy looks like a model and possibly like related to the royal family or something and then abner tukus ace hacker <laughs> who they call in for no reason for no reason nikki's like oh this computer is too hard for me to hack have so and so call her friend abner tukus the ace hacker to help us you know with these computer problems but they're like never mentioned again the contents of the computers is never mentioned it's apparently not important
1: Although they do mention at one point that the password is salvation, which I to me g- says that she didn't even try.
2: <laughs> well, no way. <wait>. <laughs> I th- I think that they got that password out of Harold Evanrod by torture. Like I don't think um, right. Abner took-, n- took us even came into the picture. No,
0: because they they give him the password when they go to right. call him. They're oh. like, give him the password and tell him to take care of these computers remotely. But I don't know what he could have done. <laughs> That was so important <laughs> that they couldn't do it there. I don't know.
1: Or, you know, load up the computers. Yeah. Since they have a tractor trailer
2: full of pumpkins. <laughs> they have two. Two tractor trailers. <laughs> yeah. Like, apparently
0: the other way, aside from welfare, <laughs> lying on welfare checks, that they get their money is they have a pumpkin patch that they, like, supply all the pumpkins in Utah <laughs> and there's these tractor trailers full of pumpkins that are supposed to be part of their plan to get everyone out of the compound, but then they never really use them.
2: Yeah, they keep referring knowingly to, like, make sure the pumpkins are in place, guys, and then nothing happens. Yeah, like, I
0: had kind of gotten the impression going through that they were going to sneak everyone out of the compound by putting them in the back of the truck and putting pumpkins in front, so it looks yeah. like it's just full of pumpkins, but then they never do that. They, they just, like, walk them out of the compound.
2: And they they leave the trucks there to block the road, so that's, like, the plan, I guess. But they don't have to have pumpkins in them
1: Yeah, for it, that. It, weird.
2: But they talk about pumpkins so many
1: times. And honestly, once we hit kind of the back half of the book, I think 50% of my notes are just, what is with the pumpkins?
2: Wait, guys, guys. Do we think that Fern Michaels got some kind of um, payment from the Pumpkin Council of America?
0: <laughs> I do, I do. I think that she's in cahoots with Big Pumpkin.
2: I'm gonna call up Abner <laughs> Tookus and have him like hack her files and look for like for checks from the Pumpkin Council.
0: <laughs> I what I it really feels like is that she was writing this book and she like had a great idea. For how the they were going to use the pumpkins in the final like big showdown and then like reached a certain point and was like oh no you know my book has to be x amount of pages and I'm nearing there so I guess the big pumpkin showdown isn't going to happen and like quickly changed what was going to happen
2: yeah all right um I guess I guess we've gone through the whole plot such as well, it, such as it is I
1: think we need to go into a little more detail about the actual showdown at the polygamous compound because that's a whole other basket of crazy. Well,
2: <laughs> let's let's maybe go into our dramatic readings because one of ours does address that and then after you read this, then we can discuss it a little more because I still don't understand it. I Think but I think before we talk about that part of it, maybe we should read the actual thing. So that, so that you people can get a taste. Yeah, so that our listeners don't think that we are exaggerating. Okay. Um. All right. <laughs> uh,
0: so first though, Renata's gonna read a little bit about the cutting edge journalism that happens in this book in two thousand nine with Maggie, editor in chief of The Post.
2: Yes maggie spitzer's fist shot in the air for the 10th time in as many minutes and i just have to stop right there and just imagine you imagine this is a movie and you are watching someone like typing at her computer and then she pumps her fist every minute for 10 minutes (laughs) just think about that person okay moving on she looked down at the slash and burn headline and her fist shot forward again (laughs) <laughs> Joe Espinosa laughed out loud. We did it and scooped every other paper and media station. The switchboard is on overload. Who knew? Espinosa quipped. You want to join me for some dinner, Joe? It's the least I can do for this great front page. Don't worry, Ted won't kill you if he knows we're going out to eat together. Joe pretended fear, then laughed so hard he almost fell off his chair. Finally, he was able to come up for air and managed to gasp, What headline are you going with for the early issue? Maggie chewed on her nails. It was the one fault she couldn't conquer. Even when she'd had acrylic nails, she somehow managed to chew the horrible stuff down to the quick. I'm working on it. I have a few hours yet, but I'm leaning toward hell on earth. You have enough material to point out the hell side, don't you? Damn, Maggie, the more I dig, the more I come up with. What we really need is a witness, a snitch, one of the followers who got away. I'm working that end and have calls out to everyone I know. I have a hot lead, and believe it or not, our squealer lives in Landover, Maryland, just a a hop, skip, and a jump from here. Joe looked down at his wristwatch, which was big enough to pass for a hockey puck, and said, I'm heading out there in a few minutes, so no, I can't celebrate with you. If I can get her to agree, I'd like to bring her back here so you can have a go at her. Maggie chewed on her lower lip. Okay, I can order in. We don't have much time, Joe, so text it in as you go. But yeah, bring her in. We can make her famous if that's just, if that's what she wants. Go. Maggie looked around at her empty office, then down at the fiery headline. Sometimes she murmured to herself, I am just so smart, I can't stand myself. <laughs> she looked up to see her weary-looking secretary who was holding out a stack of pe- pink slips. Everyone in town wants to talk to you, Maggie. You're the woman of the hour. Hold them off, Sally. How do you like this headline for the morning edition? Maggie held up a huge cardboard mock-up of a front page with a heavy black headline that read Hell on Earth. That'll do it, Sally said, laughter ringing in her voice. I mean, there's so much happening here. But this, again, is why I think it should be a movie, because it's so comical to me to just imagine (laughs) her at work in her journalism office doing (laughs) journalism.
0: (laughs) Although it talks about how Sally is like a poor minimum wage assistant, but then goes on to talk about how this is like her fifth job at the paper and she's been slowly moving up the ladder. And how it's the most well-paid paper in the country because Maggie's millions of dollars fund it or something and make sure that everyone gets really good salaries. So, yeah.
1: Also, I'm impressed that we managed to find the one quote about the journalism in the Post that doesn't include, this will win you a Pulitzer for sure. Because (laughs) that comes up so many times.
0: Yeah, it's pretty much while everyone else is like, oh, my God, we need to stop the misuse of government funds. Maggie's like, oh, my God, I need to win a Pulitzer. Like, that's why I'm doing this. Yeah. It's very strange. All right. And I'm going to read a little bit about Joe Espinoza, the star reporter who's cracking this case. Um, and about some of the wonderful casual racism and white savior stuff that you may remember from the Theodore Boone Kid Lawyer book. What? What? Espinosa is coming here? The sister shrieked. Whose brilliant idea was that? Alexis demanded. Maggie's idea. Ted shot back. What? You're all idiots all of a sudden? You think he doesn't know who you are and what's going on? Get real. Maggie wouldn't have sent him if it wasn't Okay. The guy has worked with me for years and never once gave you up. That has to say something, don't you think? The sisters huddled, to Ted's dismay. He wished Jack and Harry were there, but they had gone out to the old barn to check on their prisoners. Hold on here, ladies. Before you make any hasty decisions, let me tell you something about Joe Espinoza. He's one of eight kids, the only son. His father died early on, leaving his mother to take care of all of them. He's the youngest. They managed to scratch out a living somehow as the girls got older and went to work. They found a way through sacrifice. They found a way through sacrifice to send Joe to college. He's the only one in that very large family to get a college education. Joe is a United States citizen. He spends every cent of money he can back to his people in Tijuana. Go visit any anytime. Their shop is the third one on the street on the right side after you cross the border. It's not much but it works for them. Joe has lived in a one-room dump for as long as I've known him, because he can't afford anything else. There are 37 members of his immediate family. 37! Joe's mother is the vigilante's staunchest supporter. Along with her daughter, she opened up a shop right across the border and sells all kinds of stuff with your names on it. She's ecking out a living of sorts. Everyone in Tijuana knows who you girls are. She has posters everywhere. You even think about tossing him out. I'm going with him. Annie stepped forward. Joe supports 37 people? On his salary? How can that possibly be? It works because it has to work. He moonlights sometimes for extra money. Some of his family work if there's work to be found. They aren't lazy, Annie. It's the economy down there. His money helps, but it isn't nearly enough. Well then, we'll have to do something about that now, won't we? Annie turned to the others and said, You all know my motto, money talks and bullshit walks. Let's see if that's true. Girls, welcome Mr. Espinosa to our small but growing organization while I, uh take care of a few things and I'm going forward a little bit to Annie starts to make a phone call to Conrad Conrad I need you to do something for me and I need you to do it quickly I don't want to argue with you now listen to me I want you to bring some people across the border and and what I want you to do is find a way to make them legal no 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 green cards I want citizenship What difference does it make how many? A number is a number. Don't go getting pissy on me, Conrad. I pay you handsomely. Think what it would be like if you were on the unemployment line. Think of the humiliation. Your wife wouldn't be able to get pedicures, your grandchildren would have to go to public school, and you'd have to mow your own lawn. All right, all right. Thirty-seven people total. Stop screaming, Conrad. I'm I'm talking push mower, not the kind you ride around on. Send someone to get all the details, exact names, that sort of thing. No trail left behind. Of course I know it's illegal. I do illegal things. That's my life now. Why would you think housing for 37 people is a problem in this horrible economy? Conrad, why, with all the money I pay you, do I have to think for you too? Send them to my plantation and let them take it over. Give everyone a job. Hire tutors for the children, and we'll send them to private school when they catch up on English. This way they won't be a drain on the economy." And it goes on and on like this for, like, four pages, where she basically, like, uses her money without asking anyone to bring Joe's entire family to the U.S. to work for her. It's insane. (laughs) It's insane.
1: And, you know, so they won't be drains on the economy, because that's very (laughs) worrying and clearly the priority when dealing with, you know, people who are escaping terrible poverty. Right. Brown people. Again, yeah, it goes back people. to the welter.
0: They're thing. they're just terrible. The brown people. But they're not, these are the good kind. They're, they're not the good lazy. kind of brown people. They're not lazy. Not like this other ones.
2: Also, can we go back to how they sell merchandise of the secret vigilante <laughs> sister? <laughs> like, how do people even
0: know who these women are? I, I kind of <laughs> get the impression that they're like well known for doing this and that's why they have to live in their secret compound. And they talk when um, Myra is talking about all of the secrecy when they land in Britain. She realizes that it's not because of Charles and how he's former MI6, but because of her. Because she's like a celebrity now for being the vigilante and people want to hurt her. So they're trying to protect her. So I think that through their work with the sisterhood, they've become like the a bunch of lady Batmans. <laughs> except with no, without secret identities where everybody knows who they are.
2: Makes sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, All Naomi right. Uh, is going okay. to read a little bit of what actually happens in the compound once they stage their daring rescue of these women who they feel so badly for, obviously, because that's how you would feel in that situation, right? <laughs>
1: So as background, they've invaded the compound and they've rounded everybody up and they've separated the men from the women and then they've separated the pregnant teenagers from the adult women and sent the teenagers outside. I want to know something, Catherine said, addressing the women. Is it true that you don't own those ugly-ass dresses you're all wearing? Is it true you have one for the week and one for Sunday and they belong to that jerk you all call the prophet? You let that crackpot on your clothes... I guess so, since he owns you all body and soul. What damn fools you are! You ready, Alexis? Let's start with that one with the tape on her mouth. Wait, where are Ted and Espinosa? Espinosa has to take this picture. Maggie is going to need before and after pictures. The words were no sooner out of Catherine's mouth when both men walked into the room. Espinosa started to click, knowing exactly what the caption would read when Maggie uploaded the pictures. Professional baby makers. Or, he grinned to himself, Bald professional baby makers. Nikki and Annie walked among the women, taking the pins out of their hair. Annie stuck the pins in her pocket, knowing they would come in handy later on, and tied their hair into ponytails. Some so long, they reached down to the women's knees. Their hair was thick and luxurious, with no sign of chemicals having ever been used. We'll save all this and donate it to the organization that makes wigs for cancer patients, Annie said. I know, I know, with the exception of what we're going to need for ourselves." The women were squirming and clutching at each other as Alexis first cut the hair just above the knot for the ponytails, then buzzed their heads. Annie wasn't sure if it was the loss of their hair or the fact that a black woman was in their midst doing the dirty deed. What she really couldn't understand was why none of them were crying or fighting back. What kind of people were these? Then she remembered seeing the interview Marion Jennings and the other girls had given. The answer was they simply were not allowed to cry. Crying meant punishment from the age of one year on. Brutal punishments. "'The last woman waiting to be shorn threw her arms up and around her head as Alexis approached. "'Remove yourself from my presence. "'You do not belong here. Do not touch me. "'You will be damned to hell for what you're doing. "'You will never see salvation,' she said dramatically. "'If you had put a little gusto in that declaration, I might have paid attention,' Alexis said. "'Let me help,' Nikki said as she ripped off a second piece of duct tape from the roll. "'She slapped it across the woman's mouth and gave her a swat on the side of her head. "'The woman continued to struggle until Isabel pressed down on one shoulder,' Well, Nikki took the other. The woman went limp as Alexis cut off the ponytails and buzzed her hair. Just to show you what an evil person I really am, I'm going to shave your eyebrows. And Alexis did so with a flourish.
2: Yeah. So, what? Well, <laughs> 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 um, they talk. They give various explanations. Like at first, they say, "Don't worry, because um, we're going to donate it to." Uh, that or that organization that makes wigs for people with cancer, but then um, later they're talking about needing to do DNA testing for the women so they can identify them, and I was like, oh, maybe the hair is for that, but it's not because they're like, oh, but we didn't label the hair, we just took it, and they, and then though the women of the sisterhood dress up in the dresses they took from the um from the sister wives. And I was like, oh, are they going to impersonate them? And maybe they needed that hair to, like, impersonate the women. But no, they don't do that. And also, it seems like they were just wearing the dresses for funsies. It wasn't even, like, their plan. It yeah, was more just, like, like, to make fun of the women.
0: I See, I saw it more as, like, a big reveal, like a PR move. Like, everyone, they catch everyone's attention by looking like the women, they're like, oh, my God, there are the women. And they rip them off and they're like, no, it's us. And the media's like, oh, my God, no, it's the vigilantes. Mm-hmm. and dun, dun, dun I mean, that's equally shady. I mean, because it's, it's almost even worse than making fun of them flat out. They're just like, oh, we're just pretending to be you to bring more attention to ourselves. Okay.
2: But there is definitely an element of humiliation to it because later they have the women back with the prophet and they're like oh yeah prophet you don't want these women out that they're bald right you don't want these baldies and then he's sort of like disgusted and they're like see like your prophet doesn't love you just like why are you doing this yeah
0: i'm not sure cuz they obviously didn't need all the hair from all of them to make the wigs like the fake the fake you know wearing Which- their hair So I'm not sure why they shaved all their hair in the first place.
1: I also have no idea how you make a makeshift fake wig with a ponytail of someone else's loose hair and some hairpins. Well, they're very skilled. I guess. That's some hair magic right there.
0: Yeah, I can't even work like a regular wig. Right. (laughs) But yeah, like that, the way that they talk to them in that excerpt, like that is, they show some level of like sympathy and horror at the conditions of the teenage girls and the children but like they have zero compassion for the women zero like they treat them all like that throughout the book about how you know like oh obviously like even knowing they've been brainwashed and talking about how they've been brainwashed
2: at one point they say these women have a case of the stupids
0: even Yoko, who we find out early in the book was rescued from similar circumstances where she was like brainwashed into being someone's sex slave, even she has zero sympathy for these poor, brainwashed cult members. They like literally leave them at the completely destroyed site of the cult on their own with no money and no resources and figure that the cops or whoever will take care of them
2: and no hair.
0: And no hair.
1: It's like there's no understanding of the fact that the adult women were formerly the pregnant teenagers. Like, they had to come from somewhere, and probably a lot of them grew up in cults. And they talk a little bit about how this stuff has existed before when they're doing their research pulled off the internet and literally regurgitated in the text. But there seems to be no connection to the fact that these women grew up in that and are just as much victims as the current pregnant teenagers.
2: Yeah, it's so strange given that they are literally a vigilante organization. Their goal is to protect women, save women, but they hate these women.
0: They're just, it's so bizarre and it's so weird. Like, I can't get over how easy it is for them to be so angry that people would take advantage of these poor pregnant 13 to 15 year old girls and then turn around and be like, once you turn 18, it's all your own fucking fault like it's so weird and so off-putting like you know there it's so because even when they start in addition to the welfare stuff like at the very beginning when they're talking about the reasons why they have to crack this open they do have some sympathy for the women like they keep talking about the poor women and children who are inside and abused but then once they get there it's all this like you should have known better bullshit It's very strange.
2: Yeah, a lot of victim blaming from our vigilantes. Yeah. Yeah. Who are
0: mostly victims
1: themselves, so... You would think they would understand, but no.
2: Whew. All right. Was there anything else you wanted to say about that whole, like, terrible plan at the compound?
1: I just have one small note, which is that they put a lot of detail into describing how incredibly lavish and... Fancy the quarters of the prophet are, and there's a linen closet, which they call a rape closet. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, because it's full of expensive yeah. lingerie in very small sizes for young girls to wear. Right, which is incredibly creepy. And there's also a brief mention of how there are a ton
1: of Chagall paintings on the walls, which seems like a really weird. Specific call out to me. Especially given that Chagall is a famous Jewish painter. I don't know that a fundamentalist Christian polygamist would want, you know, a Jew's works on his walls. Again, a very strange book.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess let's move on then to Would You Rather? Would you rather continue to live in an extremist polygamous cult like The Ho, or be rescued by a group of women like the Sisterhood who forcibly shave your head and belittle you? Gosh, this one's hard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I'm going to go with be rescued because I imagine there's someone somewhere who would be willing to take on the vigilante Sisterhood's lawyer friend so that i could sue their asses <laughs> <once> <laughs> i you know go to a good therapist and get rid of my brainwashing and realize what dipshits my rescuers were
1: i would actually choose to stay in the cult because if mary and jennings could make it out then i could make it out and i'd still have
2: my hair <laughs> <laughs> it is a really tough one um I guess I would, though, choose to be rescued, um, even though it it sounds shitty and it's not much of a rescue because they do just leave them there. But I just, um, I mean, there's so many babies in the cult, and I just would prefer to try to get to a different environment with fewer babies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, the next "Would You Rather" is: Would you rather have a partner assigned to you by the prophet, or find one on ChristianMingle.com? A reminder that, as always, worst bestseller is brought to you by ChristianMingle.com.
2: Are we going to get sued by christianmingle.com? <laughs> I was about to ask: Are you guys concerned about this at all? <laughs> I think that we assume we're just flying under the radar. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> Drink. yeah i really don't know like is it illegal (laughs) to say that you're falsely sponsored by someone i mean welcome to nightvale does it all the time so
1: it's true it's true they (laughs) do so disclaimer to christianmingle.com uh this is for parody purposes only and we are not intending to besmirch your fine name
2: (sighs) yes that (laughs) Yeah, if we get in trouble, I'm just going to call Lizzie Fox and Cosmo Kirka and see if that'll help us out. What was that question? Would you rather have a cart
0: signed to you by the prophet or find one on christianmingle.com?
2: Oh, right. Well, of course I would choose to use the fine services of christianmingle.com, available online at (laughs) christianmingle.com.
0: I would also, you know, I've been working on my profile, and I think one of these days, one of these days, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it.
1: I would also go with Christian Mingle. I think the likelihood that I'd be matched up with a pedophile polygamist is much, much lower on that site.
2: (laughs) Right, because in the call, you're at, like, 100%. Exactly. (laughs) All right, last up, would you rather be a member of the Sisterhood or be one of Charlie's Angels? Charlie's Angels, no contest.
0: Yeah, definitely Charlie's Angels. Um, Like, they may have been created to mostly be sex symbols, but they were pretty kick-ass and pretty much took care of themselves and were awesome and seemed less crazy victim-blamey.
2: Yeah, like, even though they are from the 70s, I feel like they are more progressive than the sisterhood. Yeah. Yeah. That said, though, I think I wouldn't mind being, like, one of the affiliates of the sisterhood. Like, I don't want to live in their compound, but I wouldn't mind being, like, Lizzie or somebody where, like, I live in Vegas and I have my my huge boyfriend and, like, occasionally (laughs) I help them out because I'm so connected and I don't mind. (laughs) But, um... He's roughly the size of a barge, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I guess I'll I'll take the opposing view, and I'll say I would rather be just like a second string sisterhood member. All right, all right. Let's. This podcast is going along, and I don't care because we have so much to talk about. <laughs> but there's let's, a lot of me here. Let's go to Reader's Advisory and talk about what we would recommend reading instead of or in addition to Under the Radar by Fern Michaels.
0: All right. Um, I'm going to start off by saying if you really want to watch or read about about a group of awesome feminist women who work together and love each other and respect each other's different walks of life, you should watch Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries which seasons one and two are on Netflix right now. And it's also based on a series of books by Carrie Greenwood. And it's really great. Miss, Fishy, Miss Fisher is a 1920s Australian socialite who solves mysteries because it's fun, while also because she is... See, vengeance is involved, too. She's looking to... Um, get the killer of her sister to confess to having killed her sister, essentially. He never actually confessed to the crime, and to find out more details about it. But along the way, she picks up all these delightful lady sidekicks and friends who help her solve her crimes, and it's great and wonderful, and I highly, highly, highly recommend watching the show. And um, I've heard the books are really good, too. I actually haven't read them yet myself, but... A plus, plus.
2: I think there's, yeah, there's two different ways to go about reader's advisory for this mainly, which is the the lady vengeance angle, but then also the cult angle. And <laughs> both of those are very dear to me. Um, although I would say, like, for true reader's advisory, which I, you know, like I said, Fern Michaels is super, super popular and people ask for her all the time at my library. The thing is, she's written so many books, you don't really need to do read-alikes. You're just like, oh, her new one comes out in two months. Here you go. Um, but her, and I would say probably the closest true read-alike to the sisterhood thing is the Cedar Cove series by Debbie McComber, which is, like, on a smaller scale, like, they all, it's this group of meddling women in this small town, and they, like, one of them is a judge, and one of them is on the newspaper, and they just sort of, like, socially engineer this town to their will in a way that is, uh, less creepy, probably, than it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) In a good way. So you say. Um, That said, um, if you're looking for Lady Vengeance, um, I think a really, like, one of my all-time favorite books is The Disreputable History of Frankie Lando Banks by E. Lockhart. And it's a young adult novel. Frankie Lando Banks wants to um, infiltrate. She's getting revenge at this boarding school against this all-male secret society because they won't let her be a member. Uh, It kind of lacks the sisterhood angle angle because it's really just frankie but if you want an awesome lady getting awesome revenge read disreputable history
0: even if you don't want that you should read it it's one of my favorite books
2: yeah you probably do want an awesome lady getting revenge and you just haven't realized it yet so read that
0: um i'm gonna add to again going like the awesome lady i kind of took like the awesome ladies working together towards a goal not necessarily the revenge aspect of it But I'm going to give my weight behind the comic series Lumberjanes, which is about a bunch of girls at summer camp uh, working together to figure out, unravel the mysteries of the summer camp, learning what different aspects of life they're all really good at, a lot of like teamwork and friendship and you know, some hints of some romance between some of the girls. And it's just really, really wacky fun. And it's like nutso bananas in a good way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Another comic, I mean, I think a lot of comics would appeal to you if you want like, ladies working toward revenge, but uh, Birds of Prey is an awesome all-lady team. Um, I would definitely recommend reading Gail Simone's run on Birds of Prey if you want some more lady revenge. And you do. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, And this actually was one of the
2: ones that Renata suggested But
0: it was the first thing that came to my mind When I went to do reader's advisory And I ran to the shared doc and she had already suggested it But I'm going to steal it and say it anyway Um, The Gallagher Girl series by Allie Carter Is about a bunch of teenagers who are at spy school together And they have to solve At first it's kind of like silly Not necessarily superficial but um spy related hijinks that they need to solve that are not deeply related to them and then you start to unravel the mysteries of the one protagonist's life and she has to start you know solving spy crimes that are more closely related to the mysteries of her past and they're also really fun and i really like them a lot
2: naomi do you have anything you want to recommend to our listeners I do. I went more for the
1: cult angle. Um, first, I'm going old school. I'm a classicist by training, and I would really like to recommend The Bacchae, the play by Euripides, which is much more straightforwardly about a misandrist cult that's led by a man, admittedly, the god Dionysus, but they actually managed to destroy a lot of things, and theoretically someone who deserves it, although there is a lot of collateral damage. But it's a wonderful play. If you have the chance to see a production of it, that's of course recommended, but even just reading a good translation will probably get you some very similar feelings of righteous indignation. And then on the nonfiction side, I'd recommend Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer. That's a great one. Which is an investigation. I really enjoyed it. It's an investigation of kind of the radical fundamentalist side of the Mormon church, the splinter groups that started when they officially banned polygamy in the main church of Latter day saints and it talks about one specific murder but also about the history of the mormon church their migration across the united states and kind of have ended up where they are today
2: and it also talks a lot about their tax fraud so i think the ladies of the sisterhood would also enjoy this book not Most with of
0: government funds that's the worst
2: <laughs> um one last one I'll say, um, if you go online to worstbestsellers.com, we'll have more on our Reader's Advisory page. But uh, going back to the cult angle, I would recommend This Side of Salvation by Jerry Smith-Ready. Um, that was a recent-ish YA novel um, about a, a rapture cult and uh, maybe maybe bring in down the cult from the inside. I don't know. You'll have to read it to find out. <laughs> Uh, let's move on then and talk about our candy pairings for the book. Uh, just like how a, a fancy restaurant might recommend a fine wine to go with your fine meal. We'll recommend some candy to go with this fine, fine work of literature. <laughs> I'll start. My candy pairing is chocolate Viactive chews, which is like chewable calcium. Um, Cause those like this book, I think are primarily aimed at middle-aged women and it's, You know, it's not as good as regular candy, but it's fine.
0: True story. Uh, When I was trying to come up with my candy pairing, my roommate, Rebecca, was like, why don't you just do those calcium chews that old ladies (laughs) And I was like, Renata (laughs) already took that one.
2: (laughs) It is kind of the obvious choice. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: But my my suggestion is the packs of Starbursts that are only the pink ones. Um, Because I feel like the very, you know, female power oriented women of the sisterhood would 100% be behind like, oh, you know, the pink ones, because femininity and women powerful. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I would go with pumpkin spice M&Ms because there's a ton of them and they're very confusing to tell apart. And there's no earthly reason why there should be pumpkin in it. But there it
0: is anyway. All right. Good choices, guys.
2: This episode is making me less hungry than some of the other ones, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go on then to the moral of the story. Well, I think the obvious moral
0: is that upper middle class white women, and I guess also upper class white women, now that I've read the background of the characters on the website and seen that some of them are super rich, mm-hmm. uh, know what's what's best for everyone.
2: I went a similar direction. My moral of the story is, hell hath no fury like a rich misandrist.
1: And I went very simple, bad men. <laughs>
2: I think that's usually a good moral to take away from, from books. I mean, or, it's one anything, of my mottoes. Really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now let's move on to Duarte's Corner, um, where I give uh, my cat Duarte a little bit of time to share his thoughts and opinions about the literature of the day, such as Under the Radar. well said duarte well said that was a very good point
0: (laughs) uh i don't know i i think he's a little hard on the sisters i mean they're all crazy but you know cut them a little bit of slack
2: (laughs) Mm, i mean i i think duarte just doesn't really care um if those women got out of the cult or not i think he had a hard time getting it interested well
0: you know I I can imagine there are much more exciting things for him to focus on, like eating and sleeping and attacking you for no reason.
2: (laughs) Right. I mean, if if the sisterhood would uh, rescue the red dot from the floor, I think he'd be really excited (laughs) about that novel. (laughs) Cat humor. (laughs) Okay. Any closing thoughts from any humans? This Um, sure was a book. (laughs) (laughs) Nutso Bananas. That would have been a good candy pairing. (laughs) (laughs) Banana Laffy Taffy? (laughs) I have so
0: many Laffy Taffy guys. That would be perfect.
2: (laughs) My candy pairing for Under the Radar is a Bluth banana.
0: (laughs) 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 All right. Well, it's seems like those are all the thoughts we have and like let's be real we probably could keep talking about this book for another couple hours but for your sakes we're gonna end it here
1: (laughs) there are only so many hours in the day
0: (laughs) thank you so much for joining us naomi
2: it was my pleasure (laughs) kind of yeah even though you had to read this book (laughs) (laughs) being on the podcast was my pleasure (laughs) reading the book was not good distinction (laughs) All right. Well, um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Renata Snacks.
0: And you can follow me on Twitter at 14across.
2: And I am on Twitter at anachronistique,
1: spelled like anachronistic, but with a Q-U-E at the end.
2: We'll have a link also on our website because I always get confused when I go to type that out personally. <laughs> it happens a lot. <laughs> and you can follow the podcast itself on twitter at worst with no s at the end thanks twitter um you can also visit us online at worstbestsellers.com where um there'll be some links that we talked about such as the character descriptions for the sisterhood which again cannot stress highly enough please read this immediately <laughs> um just the descriptions not this book don't read this book uh as well as our readers advisor- advisory <laughs> links
0: And you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you've listened to us through either of those services, please rate and review us, or else we'll send the Sisterhood to ineptly enact a revenge scheme against you.
2: It's only fair. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, two weeks from now, we'll be back talking about Rush Revere and the first Thanksgiving by Rush Limbaugh, which has actually been requested by some of our listeners. And we are... Excited to read it. <laughs> uh,
0: to put it.
2: <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.